0: Hallelujah. Yeah. I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. I'm going to tell you, uh, I have the privilege of getting to sing that song. And uh, every time we practice it, I, I can't get through it. The song just undoes me. If that's a term, it doesn't sound right, but that's what it does to me. And, um, and he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning he's the end. He's everything. We give him all the glory. He, no one else deserves glory. Don't fall in love with sports people. No, 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 they don't deserve glory. Only God deserves glory. i use a line that Pastor Phil used to say. Well, we could probably just pray and go home because we've already had church. That's how I feel. But we've got a long ways to go. I studied too hard. We're going to do a sermon, I promise you. And then we'll do communion after this. I, this morning's title is Jesus Unmasked the Traitor. He unmasked the traitor. And in John chapter 13, verses 18 through 30, that'll be our text this morning. But I thought it was important that we just talk a little bit about Judas. I thought we might say that, I just thought of this while I was preparing for the sermon. I said, you know what? I've been to Bible conferences. I've been to lots of thematic events, biblically thematic events. been to worship ministry uh, retreats and conferences and, excuse me, multiple things, youth camps, and all of that. And I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know, I can't find one of those conferences that the theme was about Judas. Mm-mm, not one time have I ever heard... I've never even heard Judas preached at one of those conferences. Never. And it's not the name that's at the top of my list to study, even. But here at Valley Bible Church, in the 49 and a half years that we've been here, and the Lord's allowed us to survive, allowed us to thrive, one thing we've done, one thing we will continue to do, as long as this pastor has breath, we're going to make sure that we continue to exposit the Word of God. We're going to make sure that when we go through a book, whatever's presented to us in the book, we're going to make sure we teach it. We want to make sure we preach it. So as I looked at Judas, I thought, oh my, what a tough passage. And why is it even here? Well, it's here because God has something to say to us through it. And so I wanted to do just a little, when I was going through Judas, I thought, let me find out some more about Judas so that I could share with you. And I'm probably not going to tell you anything new about him, hardly at all. But let's go. Judas Iscariot, the traitor, the betrayer, who betrayed the Son of God. His name was Judas, a very familiar name from Judah, the region that he was from. Iscariot simply meant that he was from the town of Kerioth. He's the only one of the 12 who was not a Galilean. He is, known for his loca- he is not known for his location, however. Where he was from doesn't matter. He is best known for betraying my Lord and Savior, the Son of God. And doing it in the most despicable form. The most despicable way you could ever betray somebody is with a Kiss. Imagine that. One of the most intimate things God designed is a kiss. It shows friendship. It shows love. It shows passion toward the other person. And yet he betrayed Jesus Christ with a kiss. He's the most despised traitor in all of human history. In all of human history. There's been no traitor like Judas. Judas bears a name that is stigmatized to the degree that no one would use it. In the accounts of Scripture, even in the New Testament, the list of apostles, when they're given out, he's always mentioned last and always with a qualifying statement, the betrayer. Oh, can you imagine your name being Larry Howard, the betrayer? that's his name and that's how it's referenced I'm not sure and I don't want to offend anyone but I don't know anyone named Judas and I was thinking of it I go you know I've been at Valley Bible Church for about 49 and a half years now and in that period of time there have been a lot of young married couples Matter of fact, a lot of them got married here at Valley. And what happens when you get young married couples? You get a lot of babies. And some of those babies were boys over the years. I was thinking, and maybe Phil and Carolyn, you can help me with this, because they've been here longer than me. Do you know any of the parents that named their child Judas? Oh, no. It's a name that's been blighted. Like, no one should name their child Judas. I don't even know any unsafe people who have no idea what he did that named their child Judas. Always and rightly so, Judas is regarded as the most thoroughly despicable and contemptible of persons who ever lived. Treacherous, wicked, hypocrite. And he was very good at all of it. He was a skillful hypocrite. Judas emerges from the background of the gospel story to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Not even gold, silver. You know what that was? At that time, that was the price of a common slave 30 pieces of silver. And then, before we even get to the crucifixion narratives, before Jesus' trial at the throne of Pilate, Judas is dead. He doesn't even survive the night that he betrayed the Savior. Dead, driven to suicide, by an overwhelming sense of guilt. With no antidote for his guilt, he felt the only way out is to end my life. So he hung himself, and he didn't even do a good job of that according to Acts 1. He hung himself from a tree and either the rope broke or the branch broke. Something happened because he plummeted down from the precipice of where he was hanging himself and landed amongst the rocks and thorns and bushes. That's Judas. That's who Jesus will unmask in our passage. In our passage this morning, we find ourselves just hours before this horrendous suicide that cast him into eternal hell. Never again to see daylight, ever. Hell has no light in it. It will happen before another day dawns. It is still Thursday night at the Passover, and in this passage, Jesus will unmask Judas as the betrayer. Up to this point, he's referred to Judas multiple times, but never in in a negative way for instance in chapter 6 he says one of you is the devil he's talking to the disciples one of you is the devil and it just kind of goes over their head like so many things that Jesus told them just went over their head they don't even acknowledge it and of course he doesn't use his name he just says one of you is the devil but here the unmasking of the traitors to take place in the identification becomes unmistakable unmistakable and this will be launching the finality of Christ's own life. In verse 2, he says, John wrote here in verse 2 of chapter 13, Into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the devil put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Christ. So early in chapter 13, he references, John does, that it was put into the heart by the devil, put it into Judas's heart to betray him. Our Lord is well aware of all of that. He knows that the devil is working with Judas. He's known that he's been working with him. In verse 11 of chapter 13, he says, he knew the one who was betraying him. He knew it. He knew was betraying him. And he said there, he knew the betrayal was in motion. It was present tense. It was ongoing. He'd already sold the, he'd already taken the 30 pieces of silver. He was just looking for a place to enact the crime, as it were. Where can I give up Jesus to the Roman soldiers? Where can I tell them to meet us so that he can be taken? But remember he said, for this reason, not all of you are clean in the passage just above this. And for this reason, not all of you are clean. He has just told the disciples they were clean, they were redeemed, they were saved, they were regenerated. They had been fully washed, but not all of them. There was one who was not clean, not washed. And that's where we begin in verse 18. Let's read the text. Chapter 13, verses 18 through 30. Let me read it for us. Please follow along. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever whomever I send receives Me And he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, Tell us what it is of whom he is speaking, or who it is of whom he is speaking. He, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel... Satan then entered into him. Therefore Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Now no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing because Judas had the money box that Jesus was saying to him, Buy the things we have need for at the feast, or for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately and it was night. As the scene unfolds in the text, we are in the upper room, the last Passover, with the disciples for Jesus. Judas has already made the bargain to betray, as we said earlier. He's already done the 30 pieces of silver. He's just looking for a place to do it. And he did find a place eventually. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. But it wouldn't be this place and it wouldn't be this place right now. But Jesus unmasks the traitor is what's going to take place in this room. And he begins the first step. Once he unmasks the traitor, he begins the first step in activating his own death. Judas is a wretched Hypocrite sits among the twelve. He's right there with all of them when all of this takes place. In the preceding passage, Jesus has been giving an example to his disciples about humility and telling them that they need to be humble themselves and offer selfless service to each other and love one another. And verse 15, he said, I give you an example. I want you to do this because you are, as my slaves are not greater than me and you are, are the ones... And, And you, as the ones I've sent, are not greater than the one who sent you. You need to do what I did. And you know what he did. He had just humbled himself, as Paul pointed out, and washed the dirty feet of the disciples. How humble? Humble enough that this is what a slave would normally do. But look what the results are. These things. If you know, if since you know these things, you're blessed if you do them not good enough just to know them you got to do them and what were those things love one another serve one another humble yourselves to one another so now you might think I've already preached I'm just getting started i want to do in four i'm going to do four points on this we're going to walk through it point number one the treacherous treason anticipated it's a very important passage It's anticipated. He's trying to let the disciples know, I'm about to unveil the traitor. He's getting the anticipation. That's what this verse does. And look at the important parts of it. I do not speak of all of you. Not all of you are going to do these things. Not all of you are going to receive the blessing. Matter of fact, not all of you can receive the blessing. You can only receive this blessing if you're one of my own. And Judas is definitely not one of his own. So he says that I do not speak of all of you I know the ones I have chosen And so he knows them He knows who he chose He knows them intimately Remember in the passages Previous to this he said uh, One of the passages that I preached Back in uh, chapter 5 I believe it was Was that they saw the miracles And they said they believed in Jesus But it said there that Jesus Did not accept him to himself Why? Because he knew their hearts Of course they wanted to accept him. He was healing and doing, feeding 5,000 and doing all that. Of course they want to be with him. But he did not receive them to himself because he knew their hearts. Their hearts was only, what can we get from Jesus? Not who he is. Not we want you for who you are. We just want what you can give us. If you've only met Jesus because you want what he can give you, I don't know. It's not a good place to be. And so what does he do here? He's got a delicate group of men. He's about to announce that one of them is a traitor. And that can go all to pieces on you if you're not careful. Because that one traitor is amongst them, and they're going, oh wait, if he could do it, maybe I could do it. Maybe I'm not a good representative of Christ. Maybe, oh, the nervousness would happen. Their faith was not strong. These men are fragile men with their faith not where it should be yet. Hasn't Christ throughout the book so far, hasn't he continued to do things to build their faith up? He raised Lazarus from the dead. The divine design of delay that we preached a few weeks back. He raised Lazarus from the dead that their faith might be strengthened and built up because they, were, even though they had seen all the miracles, Even though they'd been with him when things they had never seen happen before had happened, they still had a weak faith. So right here, so critical, he does this. But it's not that... I know the ones I've chosen, but it is that the Scriptures may be fulfilled. Uh, One was chosen to do this betrayal so that the Scriptures could be fulfilled. And then he gives you the Psalm 41.9 reference here. He says, he who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. He's in the room with us right now, fellas. He's been eating the bread with us. And he's lifted his heel against me. A total insult. A total disconnection of being really with someone. Here Christ has treated Judas like family. Took him in. Called him out. And he's walked with him for all this time and he's being treated and then he turns his heel to him. And that was an insult in that culture. It was a breaking of a friendship, a breaking of a fellowship. So he's letting them know in the anticipation of what's to come. you got to know that I know about it. I'm not being cut off guard by it. I'm truly God. And I think we're going to see in the next section when the treason is announced it's just going to follow right up on that so the second point treason gets announced so we have the treacherous treason anticipated and now the treason's actually going to be announced but from now on look what he does he sets it up he's still dealing with that fragile personalities of these men from now on, I am telling you, before it comes to pass, I will tell you what's going to happen before it happens. So that when it does occur, you may believe that I am. It says he in your Bible, throw it out. It's not in the Greek. That you might believe that I am the I am. He's, he's showing them that he has an omniscient foreknowledge of things not yet happened to strengthen their faith. They needed their faith to be strengthened to be able to understand that one of them was a traitor. One of them was going to betray. Verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever, who, excuse me, too fast. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Why that passage in that spot? Why that? Well, if you think back, those of you who have been with us through this whole series of John, when Christ was calling them to follow him, he used very similar words. He's reminding them of the commissioning that he did back when he first called them. That's what he's doing. He's saying, remember. So no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what's going on, no matter what happens, you've been commissioned by me. And if you follow after me, you're following after the one who sent me. Now, I brought that into another realm earlier in the first service. I said, you know what? Almost 50 years ago, the Lord sent a man to Pinole, California to start a work. The one who sent him. And guess what? Some of you, not very many of you, were in that hall. <laughs> and guess what we did? We received the one that Christ had sent. We received him unto us. And we've been taught. And we've been trained. And we're, where we're at maybe in our spiritual life today and in our Christian walk, because of the man that was sent. But he, we received him. And in doing so, we received the one who sent him. And let me tell you, no man sent him. I know the story. It was during a prayer time the Lord laid it on his heart to come to, back to the Bay Area. Why would anybody come to the Bay Area? Because he knew that there was a dearth. There was people that needed to know the Lord. They needed to know the true grace of God. But the man that sent him is the one who says, if you receive him, you receive me. And if we receive that, then we receive the Father also. That's why he's got it in here. Your commission doesn't change. Phil Howard's off the scene. He's still in this church, thank God, but he's no longer the senior pastor. But my commission didn't change. And Phil would say, anathema if you change your commission. And the Bible would say, anathema if you change your commission because of circumstances. Are you not, 2 Corinthians 5, are you not the ambassadors of Jesus Christ? Yes, you are. And I don't care what circumstances you're facing. I don't care the political environment. I don't care about COVID. I don't care about racism. I don't care about anything. it. your commission does not change. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. You need a crop better for that. Your commission does not change. And listen, think about it. Some of you are too young to think back this far. I'm trying to think of somebody more recent, but I can't. Jimmy Swaggart, televangelist, popular all over the country, gets caught doing some immoral things. Did your commission change? No, but I'll tell you what it does. It makes people head for the hills. And you know what? This world that we live in, this media-driven world that we live in, loves a hypocrite they love the hypocrite they're going to you know why because anything that supports their unbelief they will go for it they go for it that's what happens so that's what happens and that's what that's what christ knows that so he's trying to prep these men to make sure they don't fall back he's getting their faith look i'm trying to tell you that stuff so you don't fall back don't worry about the man next to you don't worry about the guy that you put so much so much preference on don't look at me Don't look at me. Follow the one I'm following. I will fail you, apart from the grace of God. But he will never fail you, and your job never changes. It's too quiet in here. It's probably too convicting. So I don't care who falls by the wayside. You keep moving. You keep following. You keep getting in the Word. You do what you need to do. And when you find someone that's failing, grab them and pull them with you. Take them with you. Encourage them. That's all Jesus is doing. He's just encouraging them. Remember the call I put in your life. I called you for a reason, Peter. I called you, James. I called you. I called you guys for reasons. Don't fail. Don't fail. The church will be built upon those men Expanding it. When Jesus had said this, verse 21, he became troubled in spirit. And here comes the announcement. And he testified and said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, so the truly, truly means I am joking with you. It's an amen and an amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, that one of you will betray me. And you're here this morning and you say, How could they do that? How could Judas do that? I dare say there's people in the room right now that are doing that. You've come to this church for years. You've sat there and you've heard about Jesus Christ for years. You've heard you you know him. You know who He is. You know what you have to do to believe. You know that you fall short of the glory of God. You know that you've sinned. And you know that. And you know that we've taught you from this very pulpit multiple times that you must believe, you must repent and believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross on your behalf. He took the sins of the world on that cross. He died a horrible death on your part, took sin on him. He who knew no sin took your sin to a cross, and he died there. If you don't know that, he did it. I'm sorry you can't argue it. It happened. And then they put him in a tomb, and the tomb couldn't hold him. Three days later, he came out. Three days later, he came out. But if you're here this morning and you heard that, you're now responsible to do something. You're responsible to do something with that. And if you don't, you're just like Judas. You're a Judas. Don't tell me you know him and you don't know him. Judas was saying he knew him the whole time. He was claiming to be part. He was there eating meals with him all the time. And all the time he was doing that, he was stealing money. His love was for money and power and affluence. Wasn't Jesus. So it says that Jesus was troubled in spirit. Well, how could that be? Well, he still was in a body. And he knew all the things that only God can know. He knew all the things only God can know. But he still had a human side to him. And he had emotions. Remember, it wasn't that long ago he wept at the sight of Lazarus dying. He wept at the fact that other people were weeping over Lazarus. He has an emotion to him. Yeah, he has an emotion to him. And how troubling is it when someone close to you, a dear family member, a closer-than-brother relationship that you've had, you've walked with somebody through life, you've done nothing but treat each other with kindness, and they betray you. You ever had someone that close betray you? Traitor? Just, Just turn out to be a complete traitor. And did it not trouble you? If you had that happen, you know it troubled you. You couldn't sleep at night because of it. And you're trying to make it right, and they don't want to. And what do you do with that? The worst, the best thing you can do is be troubled by it. And that troubled in spirit has the meaning of severe mental or spiritual turmoil. You can't just laugh it off. Well, I'll just find another friend then. No, and what was going through Jesus' mind? Well, let me give you an idea and some thoughts I have of what might have been going through his mind. First of all, one of my closest followers is betraying me. That's troubling. That's very troubling. And then he also is aware that in verse 27, a couple of verses from now, that Judas, because of his total traitor or his betrayal is opening up his own self to be influenced and have this have satan himself go into him and take control of him christ knows that's coming he also knows this one of my closest followers while i've been here on earth is about to spend eternity in the lake of fire in hell the gnashing of teeth takes place there. You're in total darkness there, without Christ. Without Christ, that's where you go. If you want to deny Him, you have the right. He'll let you deny Him. He'll let you betray Him. He let Peter. He let Judas betray Him. He let Peter deny Him. He could have stopped both, but no. He lets you make that decision, and He knows that this close personal friend at least from his direction you know they probably laughed together guys they definitely ate together they definitely walked on the pathways together and now he knows he's going to spend eternity in hell yeah oh yeah he was troubled he was troubled in his spirit and It wasn't lost on Jesus. It wasn't lost on him that this betrayal would start his road to the cross. He knew that was coming. And what came with that? Separation from the Father. Never before had he been separated from the Father. But he was about to be. He was about to be. And then, of course, the announcement there in that verse of one of you will betray me. The treason is announced. One of you is going to betray me. Third point. It unfolds right before us. The 12 apostles are astonished. They can't believe that one of the 12 will actually betray him. They're just dumbfounded. They're stunned. They actually didn't. And here's the thing that I just, when I read this, I'm like, my goodness. The disciples began looking at one another and at a loss for words or what to know what to say. They, they, they just went quiet. They just went. They looked around the room like, Who? who it's not me. And listen to this. This is how good Judas was. It's how good he was at being a hypocrite. How good he was at being a betrayer. In one of our other gospels, he actually says to the Lord, Well, it's not me, is it, Rabbi? He'd already sold him. He already took the 30 silver. He already made that, struck that deal already. And yet he looks right in the face of the Lord and says, well, it's certainly not I, is it, Rabbi? Trying to, I think he thought he was still full in Jesus. He's a hypocrite, and he's masterful at it. He's masterful at it. Aided and abetted by the master of deception himself, Satan. Remember, he was already dealing with his heart earlier in the chapter. Satan, the devil, was already influencing his heart back there. And I'm amazed because all 12 apostles were astonished. All of them. Every last one of them didn't get it. So, how good was he? He was with them all that whole time, stealing money out of the the, the, uh, money box... and, and always spoke in a negative fashion every time we hear from Judas it's a negative connotation every time so he's doing all that and they have no realization, they have no, not even an inkling, not one iota of a clue that he's the guy and he does not give himself up he will not give himself up so then we move on because now we're going to uncover the astonishment. We're going to start to get it in view so they can start to see it a little bit more clear. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And I, I like this passage a lot because this is John writing this. And he never mentions himself in his books. He never says anything about his name personally. But he sure uses this, doesn't he? He says, uh, yeah, because in er- one of the er- earlier Gospels, Jesus said that. John, my beloved, the one, the one that I love. And you know what? John said, hey, that's, I like that title. I think I'll keep that title. Everyone will know when I say I'm the, I'm the, the disciple that Jesus loves. They'll know who we're talking about. And so we do. And so, um, and it's true. But listen, it was true that Jesus said that. And it was true that he did love him. But he also loved the other disciples. And he loved them all equally in that fashion. But he did say it about John. So kind of an interesting thing. And uh, it's interesting that when I looked at uh, the different commentaries I looked at, um, they said that the way they were seated around the table for taking the Passover, and it wasn't a table like we're used to where you put the chair underneath it. It was low to the ground. You couldn't put your legs under it. So they kind of reclined around that. They almost sat sideways most of the time to that table. So it's, and, and so Jesus was there, and Simon, and, excuse me, and John is there on his bosom. And they say, most of the commentaries I looked at said that that John was on his right, but Judas was just to his left. Okay? And I think they land there because when he does dip the morsel, he doesn't have, there's no extra work that has to be done. He's able just to hand it directly to him. So there, I mean, there's no, I don't see anything in scripture that says that they were seated that way, but that makes the most sense. Okay? So that's what they're doing. So it says, um, now, now here's the thing. They're still all wondering what's going on. Because he hasn't been told yet they're going to dip them more. So that's the next section. But they're wondering, hey, what's happening here? And um, so, you know, someone needs to speak up so they can find out. And guess who that is? Of course, that's Peter. And uh, that doesn't surprise any of you if you know Peter. And so he's like, dude, he get, he, he's far enough away. So he's not as close as some religious groups might think he was. Because he had to, get, he had to make a gesture toward John to have him ask the question even. Yeah, like, hey, look at this. Hey, ask him, who is it? Like, we're, we're going crazy here trying to figure this out. Who is it? And so then, uh, so they're asking for some evidence, and they had no clue. Jesus' hypocrisy was so masterful, they had no idea. So what happens? The fourth thing that I want to talk about is that now Jesus addresses the traitor. He's going to bring it into full light who it is. So he's going to address the one that's the traitor. And Jesus then answered, that is, the one for whom I shall dip the morsel. He's answering John. He says, I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So the morsel, we're not sure. I'm I'm pretty sure it was like a flatbread that they snapped into pieces and they had like a paste material they used with herbs and different things and they would mix that up and then they would dip the morsel in that and they would eat that. It's almost like I I told him earlier, it's like a chip and dip thing almost, but maybe not quite, but similar to that you know so they had this mixture that they did and then they would dip that in and he hands that to Judas and Judas takes it and I want you to watch the timing after this so he dips it and he takes it and gives it to Judas and Judas takes it from him and eats of it after the morsel look what happens after that's done Satan then entered into him Satan entered into Judas as soon as the morsel was taken. Boom! Now, what is Jesus' response after that? He says, "What you do, do quickly." All right. There's an acknowledgement. There's an acknowledgement, and and Jesus is the only one in the room that knows that when he took the morsel. Satan entered him. He entered him. So now, you don't have just Judas in the room anymore. Hell has entered that room. Okay? So now Satan's in the room. Do what you must do and do it quickly. Get out of here. You, can't, you don't belong in here anymore. Get out. Go. Get away from us. You have no right to be in the room with us anymore. Get out. And that all happened like, like that. It wasn't a long period of time in between. It happened, and Jesus said, Get out. Go and do it. And this he announced loud enough that everybody could hear it. Do what you must do and do it quickly. And so here is a thought I had. Satan entered Judas to carry out what he believed would be the greatest efforts of hell we're going to eliminate Jesus. We're going to get rid of him, we're going to wipe him off the face of the earth, and we're going to conquer this. Because see, Satan thinks he can beat God. He does. He thinks he can beat him. But what he was trying to do actually is going to carry out, he's going to actually help carry out the greatest effort that heaven has ever made to rescue sinners. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You think you're going to win this one? Oh, no, that's exactly my plan. That's exactly how I have it planned out. It fulfills Scripture. It's all in the passage, guys. It's exactly what I planned out. I knew who I chose. I did it according to the prophecies of Scripture. It's all being done according to the will of God. And but Satan, who I think is probably a pretty smart guy, just didn't, wasn't buying it. So he thinks, I'm about to get a big victory. And it's, uh, it's what we say around here that the crucifixion happened on a Friday and it looked pretty bleak, but Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming, right? So, and only Jesus would know that. What you do, do quickly. Now, one of those reclined at the table knew for what, they didn't know. None of them again. They're clueless again. They're once again without knowledge. They don't understand why, they're, why, why Judas is getting up and leaving. So they have to kind of guess. They're assuming. They guess, well, he's probably going to prepare for the feast. He's got to go buy some stuff and prepare for the feast. Or, and this one I just, this one, this just makes me want to laugh out loud. Um, Or else maybe he's going to go so he can give something to the poor. That makes me laugh. Because, hey, why is Mary putting that expensive perfume on Jesus? We could have sold that and given it to the orphans. Yeah, right. And of course, they didn't know that either, but that's why it made me want to laugh. Last part. The last thing in verse 30. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately. Immediately. And that was important too, right? Because of the timeline. We have to, we have to, things have to be expedited pretty quickly here. A lot of stuff happens really rapidly after this. But this is a part... The last four verse, the last four words of that final verse. And it was night. It was dark. It was at night. And Judas will never see light again. Think of that. It was night. He'll never see light again. He had no choice. It's a sovereign Lord thing. I'm, I'm sure he was glad to get out of that room. Once he was exposed, he wanted out. And so he left quickly. Did exactly, and it started, I said it in the first service, it's like that event, him receiving that morsel, him being announced as the betrayer, and we see it clearly from John's writings, was like pulling the trigger on the gun that launched Christ to a cross for us. It's like pulling the trigger. And Judas's fate, though, was he would never see the light of day again. He'll never see the light ever again. Now, he's going to see Jesus one more time. And I love it. I love this. It's not in my passage, so I don't want to eat it up too much. But what does Jesus call him? when he sees him in the garden what does he call Judas do you remember he calls him friend Jesus still calls Judas even though he knows he's the betrayer he calls him friend and then his friend kisses him the final act of betrayal and then he of course commits suicide and goes directly into hell and never sees light again What do we get from this in conclusion? What are the lessons you can take away from this passage and from what we just talked about? Well, we could say one of the lessons that we would take away from it is the loss of opportunity, the folly of the loss of opportunity. Um, Wasted privilege to know the truth of Christ, to see his beauty for who he really was, to understand his glory, and to turn, and then instead, to turn against him. Then I have to ask you what we talked about a little bit earlier. It's like, how many of you are in the room and you're being taught every week from this pulpit for the last almost 50 years about his glory, about his majesty, about what he's done for you. And you continue to reject him. You continue to not acknowledge him. Oh, in a passage just a couple weeks ago, act while the light is amongst you. Act while the light is amongst you. Don't wait. Why are you waiting? Why do you wait to make a decision for Christ? Don't wait. He's right before you now. Acknowledge Him. Confess Him. Repent. Second thing I see is there's a danger in loving money. A danger in loving Power and ambition and these very temporal things. You see, Judas got his money. The money has no pleasure. Money does nothing for you in this life. Oh, it'll buy you things. So what? Will it really make you happy? I know people far wealthier than any of you that aren't happy. I know them personally. They're miserable. Because all they want is more money, more power, more prestige. They're ambitious to get, 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 get. And guess what? They're going to get what they want. famous preacher that preached a passage similar to this, he says, you got what you wanted, but you lost what you had. Judas, you got the money. You you know what? He was pretty popular amongst those who wanted to buy Jesus from him, basically. He had his popularity. He had prestige. And what did it do? It made him miserable. He actually hangs himself. And then we're reminded of the vileness, the very vileness of betrayal. And then I, I see this. I don't know if you guys see it, but I see such a demonstration of the loving patience and the mercy of Christ. And when that mob came and Judas gave him that kiss, he called him friend still. Mm. And then the other thing that it teaches us in this passage is how frightening, there's an example of how frightening the devil himself can be and cause spiritual hypocrisy. He gets involved. He loves to tear the church up. He loves to do that. And how does he do it? He usually goes after leadership. A lot of times he does. Here's the one thing I take away from it. It's this, to me, like an overarching theme of this. And, and I think you'll like it. I hope so. I see in the passage that no matter the plans of Satan or man, no matter the plans, you cannot thwart God's plan. You cannot thwart God's plan. Circumstances will not thwart it. Whatever your position is, doesn't thwart it. Whoever, Whatever it is, God's plan will go forward. Last thing the seeming tragedy of the cross, the seeming tragedy of Christ dying on a cross was actually the triumph of redemption. What it looked look like Satan's victory and defeat of Christ? Genesis 50 says it this. Genesis 50 verse 20 sums it up. You meant it for evil. God meant it for what? good and what good we have seen and what good we shall see amen amen heavenly father we thank you for the lesson of Judas and um, we're reminded that how easy it is to turn away from you we get looking at money and things and we can turn from you. But I want to pray this morning for the one who's never met you. One who doesn't know you. Who's, you've been presented to them and they just can't grasp it. They don't get it. They've got, they've got their own mask on their face and they can't see. It covers everything. Oh Lord, I'd ask you this morning that they would see that you would give them vision to be able to see what Jesus Christ did for them on that cross and that you would change them. And for the believer in the room who struggles and, and maybe even struggles with some of these items themselves, I'd ask you, Lord, that you would change them that you show them there's nothing like you. There's just nothing like knowing Jesus. There's nothing like following after you. Nothing like serving you money won't please you we know that you know that lord but you will please them so i ask you lord work in their hearts today and change them change them may they be transformed by the renewing of their minds stop being conformed and start being transformed by the renewing of their minds through scripture we love you this morning lord and we pray all these things In the matchless name of your Son and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen, amen.